0: Episode 234 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by cloud accounting software FreshBooks. For a free 30-day trial with access to all their features, visit freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section.
1: So in the book we outline seven areas that you can really focus on to help learning be a competitive advantage for your company and to set a, a mindset of a new type of learning culture.
0: Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Hi, my name is Jeff and this is the show dedicated to your personal and professional growth. You see, I'm a big believer in that if you desire to achieve success in your business and in life, then you've got to be a lifelong learner. Intentional and consistent reading is a big part of that, and that's a big part of what we're talking about today, taking on that mindset of being a lifelong learner. In just a few minutes, we'll be joined by Kelly Palmer. She's the co-author of a brand new book called The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. I'll be asking Kelly to share her thoughts on how much college still matters, uh, ways your organization can lead the charge in learning and excel at closing the skills gap. At the end, of the Three-Phase Career and Ageism in the Workplace, and much, much more. Now, just before sitting down to chat with you, I was looking at my schedule for this week, and it's pretty full. I've got a couple of podcast interviews happening this week. I've got a live book chat with members of the Read to Lead book club. I'm helping teach a webinar on how to lead better meetings. What there's not a lot of is me spending time in my business. I'd rather spend the bulk of my time working on my business and its tools like the cloud accounting software I use that make things super simple for me. Now, I've got a bookkeeper, an accountant. Those roles are important, but I'm certainly not meeting with them every day. And the thing that closes that gap for me, that helps put my mind at ease so that I always know that things are being well-tracked and I know what's coming in and going out at any given moment in my business is my cloud accounting software. And that, of course, is FreshBooks. Without a tool like FreshBooks, I'd spend a whole lot more time working in my business. And frankly, if I had to do that, there wouldn't be much time for anything else. I want to make it easy for you to try the tool I've been using in my business for nine years. Go to FreshBooks.com slash read to lead to sign up now for a free 30-day trial and get access to all of FreshBooks features. No credit card needed. Just sign up. No obligation to continue. See if you'll like it first. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess you'll like it just Fine. Again, that address is freshbooks.com slash read to lead and be sure to enter read to lead in the how did you hear about us section. Kelly Palmer is on a mission to change the way the world learns, and I, for one, say amen to that. (laughs) I think we're going to get along just fine. Uh, A well-known thought leader on learning, business, and career development, she's currently on the executive team of Degreed and was formerly the chief learning officer at LinkedIn. Prior to LinkedIn, Kelly was vice president of learning at Yahoo, and she held executive positions in learning, uh, mergers and acquisitions, and product development at Sun Microsystems. Uh, She speaks regularly at companies and business conferences around the world and has been featured in Big Think, Forbes, and Chief Learning Magazine, a magazine, by the way, Kelly, that I've just recently discovered, thanks to you. Uh, Her brand new book, co-written with David Blake, is called The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. Kelly, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's so great to be here this morning, and thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, I've had a lot of conversations lately about uh, the usefulness of traditional four-year degrees or, or college in general for for a lot of a lot of vocations. Uh, my friend, uh, New York Times best-selling author Dan Miller, says that they should come with expiration dates. Frankly, in the new world of work, would you say is it your view, Kelly, that skills are more important than credentials? And and if so, why?
1: Yeah, I think that um, what we what we're coming to find these days is that you know, whatever you learned in a four year degree is not going to last you f- for the entirety of your careers anymore. I think that that was the notion in the past. And so I don't think it matters whether you're a new college graduate, a mid- mid-career person or later in your career, you're always going to need to be learning new skills and uh, to keep up with uh, the changing environment and when which we work today.
0: You know, I left college embarrassingly thinking that all my learning was done. (laughs) I I did graduate a few decades ago, but I remember that relief, that feeling of relief of thank goodness I don't have to learn anymore. I don't have to do that (laughs) stuff. It's almost like uh, the system kind of, uh, I'm not sure how else to say this, kind of educated out of me the desire to continue learning. And and frankly, for, for 10 years, I didn't do much of that. It wasn't until my early 30s that I kind of had that sort of desire to learn renewed and have been on a trajectory sense of just, you know, soaking up all, all that I can. So I want to ask you, as someone who has a lot of experience with this at various companies, what are some of the ways that, that organizations can lead the charge in learning and attempt to, to close the, the skills gap, not for just the employees, but for the organization itself?
1: Right. Unfortunately, what you just described is the experience of a lot of people, you know, when they leave university, they think, oh, my learning journey is done. And now I'm going to be in the work world. (laughs) And uh, I know my son just graduated from college about a year ago. And I thought, no, your your journey is actually just beginning, you know, that we're, you know, you start with uh, onboarding when you get into a new company. And then, especially now, I think there's there's three major trends going on. It's, you know, automation, digital transformation of all the companies that I know that are going through some sort of digital transformation, and just acceleration, how fast things are changing and and coming all at once. And so even this idea that, you know, you just spent four or five years in in university, uh, you get into the job market, and you realize, uh, especially like I give the example of my son, he's working in PR, but one of his focuses is cybersecurity. And we know how much that field is changing constantly. You know, We know how much the field of uh, data science and data analytics is becoming increasingly more important regardless of what field you're in, whether you're in the learning field, whether you're in marketing, whether you're in engineering. Everybody needs to know a little bit more about data and how to gain insights from that and how to make decisions from that. So I would say to your question about, I think it's an imperative now for companies to figure out how, how do they help not only their their employees be successful with learning new skills all the time but how also they can think about at a higher level what what skills do companies need in order to stay relevant in the future and that that's that's really been the big question i think on a lot of ceos minds these days 62% of ceos don't believe their employees have the skills that they need to survive and plan to upskill reskill or cross skill their employees over the next 5 years and so that's kind of a daunting prospect. And and then if you add to that the fact that a lot of employees are also feeling uneasy, that they don't have the skills that they need to be successful in the world of work, it's all converging together to create this incredible paradigm shift in the world of work and learning. And one of the reasons that David Blake, uh, my co-author, and I wrote the book, The Expertise Economy, to kind of address the urgent need to think about learning differently and what we can do within organizations. So, so in the book, we outline seven areas that you can really focus on to help learning be a competitive advantage for your company and also just this, this urgent call to business leaders and CEOs to really think about this differently and, and to set a, a mindset of a new type of learning culture in the company in order to make that happen.
0: Uh, Kelly, I was wondering if you would talk about your skills quotient that you and David developed. What, what's it designed to do and, and how it works exactly?
1: Right. That's a great question um, around skills quotient. It's something that we devised because one of the things that I was surprised at, as you mentioned in the opening of the show, I haven't always been in the learning field. And when I did move into this area about 15 years ago, one of the things that really struck me was how antiquated a lot of the models that we were using for uh, helping employees gain skills. I mean, really, if you think about it, companies have traditionally focused on maybe managers, leaders. Leaders and high potential employees, but it would leave the 80% of the rest of the company on their own to, to try to figure out what skills they needed to move ahead in their careers. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, if you think about the conversations that people were having about learning that was about completion rates and compliance training, and did you participate in this class? And that's a hard conversation to have at the executive level around such an urgent need. So this idea around the skills question is to say, look, we need to up level the conversation around the skills gap. And it's about starting with an inventory of what's skills do you actually have versus what skills do you actually need and then how you fill that gap. And the skills quotient can be applied individual live level at the group level, at the company level, and even in the industry level to look across the industry and say, we have enough data scientists in, you know, in, in the world to, ha- to help with what we need in, in the future. And it also allows us to have a conversation around learning with CEOs and business leaders that I think le- the learning profession has never really been able to have. We, we equate it to kind of the NPS, what NPS did for customer satisfaction. Most people know NPS, their NPS score for their company. Uh, but do they know the skill quotient for their company? And do they know, you know how they're going to survive in the future, getting people the right skills that they need?
0: Uh, Kelly, what are some examples of, of organizations that are, are doing a great job of developing a culture of, of learning in your view?
1: Yeah, I would point out Unilever as being a really great company doing that and and we'll- the things that they're doing is exactly what I just mentioned. It's it's a partnership with the CEO and business leaders of the company to say, hey, we're going through this amazing digital transformation, and we need a skills strategy, not as a separate learning strategy for our employees, but as part of business strategy for our company. and And it's starting from the top down, and and then also it's coming bottoms up. I think it needs to come from both ways. But that's a great way to start thinking about if you know if you if you look at what your learning culture is at your company and how you want to create a, a better one I think you know ask yourself are, are your business leaders and CEOs talking about learning and are they encouraging learning and uh, that's a that's a great start another example I would give you is Satya Nadella the CEO of Microsoft it has been working extensively with Carol Dweck who wrote growth mindset and he's been actually transforming the culture of Microsoft over the Past few years. And one of the things that I think is so incredible about what he's doing is based on the work from Carol Dweck, he said that he wants his employees to be learn it alls and not know it alls. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it seems like a subtle difference, but how cool is that? That, you know, he wants people to be even at executive levels and uh, management levels where you go into a company feeling like, need to know everything to go back to this phase where you can actually be a bit vulnerable around learning and say, you know what, I don't know everything and I want the opportunity to learn things and ask questions and learn from each other. So those are a couple of examples of companies that are embracing a learning culture. And uh, there's a lot, of co- course, a lot more components that go into it than, than that, but it's a, a great start. Mm. Well, I've
0: had the, the chance the last couple of years myself to, to teach college students and i'm curious to know what advice you would give kelly say a a college freshman How, how can they prepare differently for the job market than maybe we have in the past
1: yeah, that that is another great question, and one that I get a lot. And I think there's a lot of pressure for college freshmen, and even when you're still in high school, to figure out what your you know, what college are you going to apply to, and what major you're going to be. And it it feels so daunting that you're, you know, that you're trying to figure out what your career is going to be for the rest of your life when you're, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. So the advice that I love to give is. Probably not going to figure out what you're doing for the rest of your life in your college years. So, so relax a little bit, figure out what's, you know, what you're interested in, you know, that college degree. It's always going to be valuable. And then, you know, along the way, learn about as much as you can about different areas that you think are interesting to you and that you think you might want to go into. It's still true that college students change their major, I think, on an average of three to five times during their college career. And then think about what happens when they get into the workforce. I know my example is, is my career journey example is a great one. I, you know, I was an English major, and communications in my undergrad work, and yet I got into uh, Silicon Valley in the in the tech world. And uh, it's it's kind of ironic that now I'm l- much later in my career, actually using my writing skills uh, to, to write this book we just released. But you know, my career has shifted and changed several times, and I probably, if I asked you, um, that would that would probably be similar. That is not a unique story. People's career paths change all the time. Is that true for you as well?
0: Yeah, I have a degree in business. And I've spent the entirety of my career up until about five years ago, anyway, in broadcasting.
1: Right. And that's not really unique. I think the other thing that's really important to note about college degrees and how the work world depends so much on them. Hiring managers look at, you know, what where you went to school, what degree you got. And maybe if you've got some experience in the workforce, they look at what companies you've worked for. But those aren't very good measures of what people actually know and what they can do. And my co-author, David Blake, loves to talk about this notion that if I ask you, tell me about your education, you tell me what school you went to. But that's like I asked you to tell me about your health and you told me you ran a marathon 10 years ago. (laughs) And does that really tell you anything about, you know, health today? And so this idea that we need to be able to talk about what we know and what we can do in, in different ways. And your college degree isn't isn't the end all be all of what you know and what you can do. Think of all that you've learned throughout the entirety of your career and or even just five years into a career since you graduated from college. And that I think that that's one of the goals is let's let's really help people understand what skills they have, what skills they have and managers are kind of a linchpin there. They're the ones that are going to need to change how they think about hiring employees for, for work. And I think the future of work is telling us a lot about how important this whole idea of the currency of skills is going to be moving forward.
0: I've been reading recently about more and more companies that are moving away from requiring a college degree as a part of employment, Google is one that stands out in my memory. Is it safe to assume that you believe that's a trend that's going to continue?
1: Absolutely. And the reason that that's happening is is that we've gone to such extremes these days in terms of everybody needs to get a college degree in order. Get a good job when they graduate, but even we we interviewed also Clayton Christensen from the Harvard Business School, who who's saying you know there's a lot of jobs out there that don't require a college degree, yet we're we're now making that the barrier to entry into the workforce, and and so uh, the other problem with that is is that given and 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 if you teach at the college level, you'll know this that it takes time to get classes into a curriculum. And, and to design and develop that and get on the schedule for the next college year. And again, if I go back to this whole idea of acceleration and how quickly things are changing these days, when you think of some of the technologies, especially in the in in the tech sector, like, you know, cybersecurity or cryptocurrency or even all the programming languages that are out there. It's hard for universities to keep up with the latest trends in order to teach people the skills that they need to get going in the world of work. And so you'll see all these dev boot camps popping up that are, you know, teaching people programming skills. And uh, either they already have college degree, and now they're going back to learn those skills, or they're going from high school into those kinds of programs, we need to find a middle ground for, for, um, for roles that don't necessarily require a a college degree and and where university can't really supply the knowledge that's needed for these people to get going and get started at work.
0: I was brought in a couple of years ago to teach a course at the college level that not many colleges were offering. And, and it's funny because in just the two years I've taught that if I were teaching it this semester, the skills and the processes and, and the tactics and strategies I would be teaching have changed completely than what they were just two years ago when I was teaching the same thing. So, it's, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I read in your book that uh, for the first time in our history, uh, the workforce includes essentially five generations of people. We're living longer than, than we used to. Uh, talk about the end of, of the three-phase career. How, how does this apply to the lifespan of people's careers and ageism in, in the workplace?
1: Yeah, I love this topic because I think it's, uh, we haven't been paying enough attention to it. I think we've had this uh, super obsession with the younger generation, with millennials, with college grads coming into the workforce. And we've often been saying, you know, how do we deal with how these people like to work and, and how do we need to change the workforce depending on, on on this new generation coming in. But the fact is, is that we have a lot of people from a lot of different generations. And the one, the one thing that hasn't come true that people had predicted would be was that a lot of baby boomers would be leaving the workforce. And what we're finding is that not only do baby boomers need to or that generation need to work longer, some of them because of financial reasons, but a lot of people are realizing that they want to work longer, because they want to work longer Mm -hmm. because they enjoy working that retirement Maybe a little bit overrated. And it's interesting if I'm not sure if you're familiar with the book by Linda Grattan and Andrew Scott called The Hundred Year Life.
0: Yeah, I've had Linda on the show. Yeah.
1: Oh, you did. Oh, I just that's one of my favorite books. And um, one of the things that they talk about is the three phase life not really being applicable anymore. So it used to be that the first part of your life was all about education. The second part of your life is about working and having families. And then the last part of your life is about retirement. And and that also assumed this career ladder where you're working up your career ladder. And if you get off of that ladder, you're at a huge disadvantage. So a lot of women in the workplace that would stop to have families and have babies would be a big disadvantage for getting off that ladder that isn't really the reality of our lives and our and the workplace anymore and that there's more of a career lattice where people can start and stop their careers at different times and especially for workers in you know over 50 who might have another 20 30 years in their careers to go if we spent more time thinking about developing that generation Um, helping peer-to-peer learning in that generation and giving that generation more challenges in the workforce rather than just saying, oh, you're this age, you must be getting ready for retirement. I think we'd have a different uh, workforce. So I think that that's what we're we're advocating and that ties directly into this notion of skills and and kind of gig economy. So if you think about what skills people have and if they can offer up skills for progress in the future. I think that that's one notion of the future of work where especially people with a lot of experience have a lot of skills to offer and they could do it on short term gig assignments and still enjoy a, a different balance of life. And I'm, I think a lot of people would like that. I think in most generations would like that, would enjoy that kind of a work style.
0: Well, Kelly, I have a couple of questions I want to broach that aren't directly related to the book. Uh, before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we, we walk away with?
1: Just for people realizing that outdated models are no longer effective for us and that there is a big paradigm shift happening in the world of learning and work. And there are things that we need to be thinking about and that we need to be a little bit more urgent about how we're doing this now. It's not people have been talking for decades. Oh, this is coming. Uh, artificial intelligence is coming. How is this going to change work? It's happening now mm. and that the companies that are most successful that we talk about are being very proactive about how they're thinking about upskilling, reskilling, and cross-skilling their workforce because the, the fact is is that about 50% of the S&P 500 companies won't exist in the next 10 years if they don't reinvent themselves and figure out how to be competitive in this ever-changing landscape. So that's, that's the call to action is, is the urgency to, uh, to think about this to stay relevant.
0: You mentioned uh, Linda's book earlier, also the one from uh, Carol Dweck, Mindset. Maybe those are on your recommendation list, uh, but I'd be curious to know, uh, what are the books you've been reading here in the last year or two, or maybe even spanning your career that you would say have had the biggest impact on you and maybe share how or why they impacted you as as they did?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely the two books that you just mentioned, uh Dweck's Mindset and Andrew Scott and Linda Gratton's book, The 100-Year Life, are, are two of my favorites. And I, I guess I would mention two others. One is uh, by Todd Rose, who runs the Mind, Brain, and Education Department at Harvard. University. He's got such an interesting story. He was actually a high school dropout and, and, and he's now a professor at Harvard. But he talks about in the end of average how everything that we design our organizations around have to do with this notion of average. And the fact is, is that there is no average. So if you think about learning, if you think about performance management systems, if you think about just typical work structures, they're all, they're all built around that. So that was incredibly eye opening for me and validating some of my interests questions about why some of these things just didn't, you know, like one size fits all learning, why that doesn't work and why a personalized learning is now taking front and center stage in a lot of companies uh, strategies to help people learn and build skills because everybody's at a different point in their, in their learning journey. And, and so personalization is one of the things that we're doing at DeGreed. And so I would say, you know, check out the book, The End of Average by Todd Rose, and it's very eye-opening, and it might change the way you think about, um, about how we run companies today. And then the second one is probably more well-known by your audience, but still a book that I think is uh, worth uh, talking about is Drive by Daniel Pink. Have you had Dan- Daniel Pink on the show?
0: Uh, twice, actually.
1: Okay, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I-, I don't know if you guys have talked Drive, but to me, this whole idea of autonomy, mastery, and purpose is so relevant when you start talking about uh, building skills for the future. And this this idea that we know so much more about the science of how we learn and the science of motivation in corporate learning organizations, we don't take any of it into consideration and we barely apply any of that science to actually what we're delivering in terms of programs at the corporate level. And so thinking about what motivates people and the fact that this command and control model that a lot of companies have had around mandating certain learning and, and in, I think the saddest thing about it is people really do love to learn, but the way we approach it makes people passive because either they don't have any control, they're being told what they need to learn. There's a lot of compliance training, which is which most people dread, but that's not, not the reality if we give people some autonomy over what they're learning and the skills that they're building and we say we want you to learn every day find out what you're interested in and and make learning part of a daily habit of what you do and build it into the flow of work that's that's motivation where we'll get people back to actually loving learning and uh, that's i think a huge goal we should have
0: uh, well, as a successful speaker, Kelly, what are, what are some of your tips for helping leaders uh, deliver a talk that is memorable and, and one that's going to impact the audience or looking to, to change?
1: Um, well I I've, I've have got a lot of experience uh, with with speaking over the last few years and one of the things that I learned in doing so is is storytelling you know bring, bringing some personal anecdotes into the subject matter that you're trying to convey you know like your own personal career journey um, oftentimes I, I talk about my son and his college experiences in, in my talks and bringing some a bit of the the personalized parts of me that I can share their relate to the topic that I'm speaking about, helps me really connect with the audience. And I can't tell you how many people afterwards would will come up to me and say, Oh, I I have the same situation with, you know, my son who's in school who couldn't figure out what he wanted to study, or your career path sounds like mine, mine was not standard, this is not unique. So being able to uh, um, not just talk about the subject matter that you're knowledgeable about, but connecting it to personal stories, and and then the the second thing I would say is just don't be shy about letting your passion about your subject matter come out because it can make a difference. I'm I'm incredibly passionate about changing the way the world learns, and and if if I'm able to bring that out in into um, any talks that I give, I think that that really makes a difference. People people become engaged. People don't want to just look at numbers and charts and bullet points on slides. They want to hear stories and they want to hear passion about and insights about uh, the subject matter that you're talking about. So those would be a couple tips I would give.
0: Well, now that the, the book is out beyond promoting it, what is ahead for you and DeGreed and David that, uh, that's got you excited?
1: Yeah, so um, we're really excited about DeGreed. You know, David, my co-author, is the co-founder and executive chairman of DeGreed. And, you know, we're, we both are on a mission to change the world learns as well as our, as our company. Um, it's interesting in writing the book, we both come at it from a little bit different angles. You know, me running learning, corporate learning organizations at some big tech companies and David actually being an entrepreneur and starting a few education technology companies. And so I think, you know, for the future, what we're seeing is, is that technology is really playing a huge role in how people are thinking about learning and work. And we're going to continue to evangelize the future of learning and the future of the workplace. And I think one of our focus areas is really going to be on the skills quotient and and helping people understand the skills they have versus the skills they need and also at the company you know group company and organizational level and really try to get that message out there so that people can use that in a, effective ways and then I think from a company perspective one of the things that we're doing is really we're expanding internationally quite a bit so uh, we'll both be spending a lot of and, and myself especially be spending a lot of time expanding our company uh, in into the international markets and so that's really fun and new challenge as well so so we're excited about uh, about the prospect and kind of opening up a new category of technology in the learning field that hasn't really existed yet. So people are still kind of understanding who DeGreed is and what we're all about. And uh, so that's part of our mission is to help people understand where things are going and how we can fit in.
0: Well, the book, again, is called The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete and Succeed, written by David Blake and today's Mm -hmm. guest. Again, her name is Kelly Palmer. Kelly, thank you so much for being a part of the show and for taking time out of your schedule to do this. I know it's early where you are, so I appreciate you showing up with such energy.
1: It's my pleasure. I've really enjoyed it today. Thanks for inviting me.
0: If you want to dig more deeply into my conversation with Kelly, one great way to do that is by visiting the show notes page. You'll find all the links and resources we talked about, plus ways to connect with Kelly via Twitter, LinkedIn, and more all at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 234 for episode 234. If you're looking to make a career change soon, I've got a podcast you may want to check out that can help in that regard. It's called Lessons from a Quitter, and it's from Goalie Colkeren. Goalie says it's never too late to start over, no matter how much time or money you've spent chasing degrees and jobs to get your current position. She's a former lawyer, in fact. She says if you're ultimately unhappy, then it's time to quit. Each week on her show, she interviews guests who have quit lucrative careers to forge their own path and create a life that they love. You'll get insight, inspiration, tools, and resources to help you quit what you hate and figure out what it is you love. It's called Lessons from a Quitter with Goalie Colcoran. You'll find a link to it on that show notes page as well. Again, readtoleadpodcast.com slash 234. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and read we